from 11FS, this is Fintech Insider News. In today's news show, we bring you Silicon Valley Bank sold to US rival, Klarna launches ChatGPT plugin, and we play a really weird big old game of Fintech higher and lower. We get into all of this and much, much more on today's show, Fintech Insider After Dark, live at the Steel Yard in London. <laughs> That was a good crowd, I'm feeling that. Welcome to episode 723 of Fintech Insider News. By our count, this is the 20th edition of Fintech Insider After Dark, which is weird. Like We've done this 20 times. We've done them in Atlanta, San Francisco, Helsinki, New York, Copenhagen, and a bunch of other places that I don't forget because we always have a sponsor for the bar, which is good. Um, hitting 20 means that we're going to be moving out of our moody teenager phase, apparently. I haven't signed up to that. Uh, and much like the fintech industry itself, we're growing up a little bit, aren't we? Which is good. Uh, I'm joined on stage here in London. I'm not, but they'll come out shortly. By some amazing guests to break down this week's biggest stories in fintech and financial services. Please make a bit of a noise for everybody who's going to be joining me on the panel. Very good, very good. All right, first up, it is my 11FS colleague. It is Kay Moody, who is the Global Strategy Director, Customer Experience at 11FS. How's it going, Kate? Yeah, not too bad. I can't believe they've actually given me a mic in a live environment. This is crazy. It's, 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 it's weird. People, don't look at them. They're scary. Um, first, FinTech Insider Live. Like, how are you feeling about jumping into this, uh, you know, cauldron? Like, because usually me and you do this, and We've got this secret where we fuck up a lot, but the editors make it really, really good. Like, uh, but they're going to know our dirty secret, right? So, yeah, like our editors do an insane job. Like, absolutely. Like last week we recorded a new show and I just lost it completely. Like, I couldn't stop laughing. So, I'm hoping that doesn't happen today. <laughs> very, very good. All right. Next up, making a welcome return to fintech insider, we have Charlotte Croswell, who is chair of is it is it CFIT CF. Okay, I've been saying that wrong apparently. But welcome back to the show, Charlotte. Lovely to see you. Thank you. No, somebody, somebody very kindly did post on, um, on LinkedIn at one point and said it's a really sh real shame they didn't call it CIFT and then you could have had a really cool acronym of SIFT. I'm like, oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so, but we, yeah, we call it CFIT, Centre for Finance, Innovation and Technology, but uh, CFIT rolls off the tongue a little quicker. Very good. Big, big week for all of that as well in terms of all of the changes that we're I mean, big, big year, right? There's a, a lot of uh, anticipation, hard to say after a couple of years, um, of all the changes that we're going to see. It's big, big times. Big, I mean, it is big times. And you know, for those who don't know CFIT, it's about you know, actually taking the really difficult problems that no one's fixing out there. Um, but we think there are solutions out there and getting the right people around the table to resolve them. So that might be fintech, it might be tech, it might be innovation, um, but very much focused on getting better outcomes for consumers and SMEs. So I have a, yeah, it's a nice startup with a uh, significant investor, should we say. Very good. I think last time you were on the show for a new show, we had Ron Khalifa talking about the Khalifa report and we ended up talking about Michael Bolton a lot. So I know what's happening here. Like, you, I don't know if you've read through, but good luck with this. Anyway, um, we'll move on. Uh, and last but um, by no means least, making her FinTech Insider debut, we have Sai Khan, who is the Head of Innovations and Partnerships over at First Direct. How's hello, it going, Sai? Hello, Good, good. How are you? Busy. Yeah, busy week. Busy week. But, well, I mean, 
if anybody's living under a rock and doesn't know what a first direct is, what's the first oh direct? Oh my God, who doesn't know first direct? Seriously. Um, so we were the first challengers, actually. So when we talk about innovation, probably one of the first few banks that went branchless about 30 years ago. So super proud of us, actually. And here we are, you know, still serving our customers. Very, very good. All right, folks, uh, get tweeting uh, your takes on the news stories as we go through this. You can use the hashtag, hashtag AfterDarkLDN, London, obviously. Uh, and we'll read out some of the tweets as we go through the uh, notes as we're doing. Uh, we don't accept any sort of bribes, just in case you were wondering it. It feels like me bringing that up makes it like I am saying that we do, which makes it all feel quite uncomfortable. But um, if you're going to do it, no crypto. That's what I'm saying. So. <laughs> Not on today's rates, anyway. Anyway, let's go on with the news. So the first story that we had was one, um, I mean, in one form or another, was pretty much everything that we, everybody was talking about uh, over the last couple of weeks, was Silicon Valley Bank collapsed US lender bought by rivals. So this was something that was covered over in many different places, but uh, and I think everybody's Mum and dad and gran were talking about this one, but uh, BBC News is where we picked it up. So the assets and loans of the collapsed US lender for Silicon Valley Bank are being bought by rival First Citizens Bank. Uh, under the takeover deal, all 17 former SVB branches opened under the First Citizens brand on Monday, and SVB customers are advised to continue using their current branch until they receive notice from First Citizens Bank that their account has been fully moved across. The deal brings to close a really interesting saga that started early in the month after a run on the bank forced US regulators to take over. Its collapse was swiftly followed by the failure of another US lender, Signature Bank. Um, I mean, the the 11FS Slack channel was going somewhat crazy, Kate, on this one, sort of in the weeks up to and the weekend. But uh, um, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Obviously, there's been a slightly different approach in the UK. In the US, it's obviously taken a little bit longer for the FDIC to, to make this decision. And I think very interesting to see who has actually come in to buy SVB in the US. So, you know, I don't know about any of you guys, but I hadn't come across First Citizens Bank before. Like, they're not kind of one of the major, major players, but really interesting to spend time this week looking into who they are and what they do. I think they've got an interesting track record of buying some of these distressed lenders in particular. So they obviously kind of have a strategy for how they're going to do that and manage that successfully. Um, and they've made an interesting commitment up front to focus on those private equity clients that obviously SVB was particularly courting. Not so much mentioned so far of, I suppose, those fintechs and startups and how they plan to approach those, but they are concentrated in North Carolina. Obviously, they've got uh, branches and offices, I think, in 23 states at the moment, but they do have that concentration in North Carolina, which has a sort of research triangle that has a concentration for the biotech innovation space. So. It's not kind of an obvious fintech fit per se, uh, which obviously is what we're particularly interested in here in this community, but they have worked in the innovation space and they do have experience at rescuing some of these distressed businesses. So fingers crossed the FDIC have done their research and it's a good match because um, we all really want these, these customers to be properly looked after. Yeah, what do, what do you think, Charlotte? I mean, it, obviously, um it was a quite a busy weekend for a lot of people to, to sort of get through that one to you know have a, a positive uh, bell call, should we say, or the the market's kind of kicking off. But what do you, what do you think happened? It must have been a busy weekend for a lot of yeah, people. Yeah, I think it was a busy weekend for a lot of people, um, you know, and for lots of different reasons. Because I think you had so much of industry affected by it. 
Um, and then you had obviously government who you're really engaged over the weekend and I think you know as well publicized what they were doing sending surveys out and saying how much money have you got and you know have you got another bank you can survive with on Monday um so quite you know quite strange really if you look at that when did we last see that ministers tweeting out ministers meeting industry associations by that afternoon and lots and lots of frantic whatsapp messages back and forth of people going is there going to be a solution and you know and that includes people I know really really well who said well actually my business account's there, but I've actually got all my personal accounts there as well. The money's on notice, I can't get it out, and really panicking. Yeah, and you hear, yeah, when you hear these stories, this was not just a blip, this was something that was really gonna affect it. Um, and obviously that wasn't just FinTech, it was tech, it was life sciences. I was particularly struck by the life sciences bioindustry association and their stats of just how much, you know, how high percentage there was, that was banking there. And you think of all the R&D that's sitting there, going, oh my God, we literally could lose 10, you know, a decade of innovation. Um, so, you know, a really unique approach. And I think we were watching that weekend of what was happening in the US, and there was obviously bidders that we were all looking, what the FDIC was going to be doing, and then saying, right, what lessons can be learned here? And obviously, meanwhile, you know, HSBC, you know, talking to, talking to the bank. But I don't think I've ever seen in any joint meeting so many people so aligned, saying no action isn't an option. We've got to have this resolved. Um, and you know, lots of sharing WhatsApp messages. I think I went to bed on Sunday night and went, I'm just going to leave my phone on loud and I'm going to hold it in my hand. And there was a lot of WhatsApps, I could tell you. It's 2.30, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 5.15. Went, okay, it's going to be fine. You know, go back to sleep. The noise has uh, stopped, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it was, you know, but you know, all credit to everyone involved. And I think a lot of people were um, quite frustrated, should we say, at the Bank of England, a statement on the Friday night, because obviously they're trying to calm the markets down. But obviously on the tech, fintech and life sciences side, it really panicked people. Yeah. Um, but actually we should, you know, we should give them credit as well because mm. I know how hard they worked all weekend. Yeah. And obviously Treasury aligned with that and industry coming in, giving, you know, giving evidence. So what a great example of finding something that everyone woke up on Monday morning and went, it's all fine then. Innovation <laughs> happens when you have to make it happen. We're, we're good it? in a crisis, so, right? We're uh, good in a crisis. Uh, people don't know this. Uh, the, the banks over in the US that sort of picked it up, citizens, there's, I think there's actually like three or four banks in the US called citizens of some description. So I've seen um, uh, Jill Castilla, who's the CEO of Citizens Bank of Edmond, coming out and go, it's not us. We haven't randomly bought Sickle and Valley Bank, just so you know. Like, but there's a lot of organizations out there going, yeah, you know, turns out America's a big place. So, like, who knew that? But uh, Jill, you know would, that Jill would absolutely nail that, though. Like, Jill is amazing. So if she took over, I would be super happy. Yeah, I think I would support that, too, as well. So um, but it's an interesting one how many people over the weekends and the subsequent weeks suddenly became really big experts on, like, banking liquidity and, like, the impact of interest rates. It, like, don't believe that stuff, you know what I mean? It's like, it's everybody coming out and saying they're a chat GPT expert, then suddenly they've got an ebook or something, you know I mean? It's kind of crazy. But, but I mean, do you think this is a, a sign more broadly of a, you know, a, a market that's in a, a, a different place now? You know, obviously we've gone through a, a different period of time when it comes to investment in, in fintech and we're seeing opportunities for big organizations. Like, it feels like a, a, an interesting time, Si. Yeah, it does. And I, I think... It's such an exciting time. I think it's terrifying at the same time. We'll talk about that in a minute. I think the rate of change is just exponential compared to 2008. I mean, if we look back to 2008, I was just talking to somebody um, earlier and I can see them around having PTSD from 2008 around, oh my God, are we going to crash? What's going to happen? But what we saw with Silicon Valley Bank, which we just talked about, Charlotte, is that the way that we came in and made those, you know, tremendous changes over like a weekend, that's unheard of. That's brilliant. Um, so that was good. However, 
let's not forget over COVID, we had the rise of the retail traders. So everyone's an expert all of a sudden after the pandemic on the markets of what's going on and the thought process. So toppled with that, you've then got Twitter and then you've got access to social media channels where everybody wants to put in their thoughts. But what they don't realize is those thoughts lead to hysteria, leading to kind of more runs to the bank. Um, and I think those are the things that we need to be mindful of. So if we have that in the back of our mind and we have, you know, there's markets and what's happening versus reality. Um, there was something I said earlier actually to somebody, if you look at any economic books, you look at three major events that you look out for. You know, news is a catalyst, it moves, it moves the markets and we just had SVB happen. In the last two and a half years, we've had um, a pandemic, huge catalyst. You know, we've had force majeure type events, which is, you know, the fires and kind of the climate change and stuff. But at the same time, we've also had a war. So that war has driven up, you know, prices, inflation and everything like that. But, you know, that's just something to be mindful of as we're talking about this. But the rise of the retail traders is something that we need to kind of be mindful of. Yeah. And there's more voices in social media. Yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it, that uh, Twitter seems to have so much power now. Like, um, we really need to make sure it's in the hands of somebody who's really stable. <laughs> it's okay then, David. Who doesn't, like, just randomly tweet shit, you know? Like, um, so we're good, I guess, you know, on that basis. Uh, a few tweets from for everybody in the audience. Uh, great to see a strong female panel. I guess I'll get my coat. Thanks for that one, that's fine. Um, and uh, Dave Burrells, that was uh, Women of FinTech, by the way. Uh, Dave Burrells, SVB, smashed the banking space like Nirvana smashed up the stage. Yeah, I like that one, Dave. That was a, that's a good, uh, I feel like we're keeping that Nirvana. I feel like it's a joke for me and you. That in a public setting might be weird for everybody else, but cool, like I'll read that out, that's good. All right, we better get on with the, the next story though, because I, I feel like SVB, I feel like we probably, everybody's talked about that enough, haven't they? You reckon? Yeah. Yeah? All right, let's move on. All right, so the next story that we had, uh, that was covered in a bunch of different places, but we picked it up in TechCrunch, was that Klarna plugs ChatGPT into its platform for faster product recommendations. So Klarna is the latest company to announce doing something with ChatGPT. Uh, users will be able to install the Klarna plugin for, from the ChatGPT plugin store and then ask ChatGPT, I feel like I'm saying ChatGPT a lot, uh, for examples that they can ask, like, I have $150, what headphones can I afford? And receive various different selection items relevant to that request. So users can also ask other questions or more specific product recommendations for it. Uh, if users tap on one of the product links, they'll be then navigated through to the product page. And Klarna's search and compare tool compares 500,000 different retail partners. Jesus, that's quite impressive. Uh, Klarna is amongst the various big tech players who are doing uh, generative AI, including Apple, Microsoft, and Google. What do you guys think about this one? Does anybody watch Rick and Morty? Where, does anybody watch Rick and Morty? Yeah. You know that thing where they had the robot that was like sentient that would only bring the butter? Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like we've created amazing AI that is like, finding me some headphones, do you know what I mean? Like, that doesn't, that doesn't seem like the best use of this, but I mean, Charlotte, what do you think? Is, um, is ChatGPT taking over the world? Are, are, you, are you writing all of your speeches now in ChatGPT or like? Uh... We got the strap line for CFIT from it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so probably, I, I don't know, that's a good thing or bad thing. And that's because we chose one and then we looked at it and went, that doesn't work. And we had about 15 minutes to decide because you know, CFIT's still a startup. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm also, you know, I also have a 14-year-old, um, first year of GCSEs, 
it's quite useful to help me. You know, um, I tell her not to use it, but then secretly I'm sitting there going, okay, how can I help her on this? Um, so if you want a thousand word essay written on Romeo and Juliet, you can get one really quickly, I can tell you. Well, we, we were having that, that conversation in the audience earlier on, uh, in the audience, in the office earlier on. Me and Jason Bates, uh, founder of 11FS, was, was chatting about this. And it's like, teachers can't tell. Like, you, you know, you joke about that, but, but like, unless, unless there's suddenly like a massive change in your, you know, how eloquent you are in your writing type thing, then, so you've got to almost like, it's like, uh, it's like old fashioned cheating, but you've got to like warm up to it. You know, you've, oh, you'll over get a caught. period of weeks, you've got to get you'll slightly get more eloquent. Like, uh, <laughs> I'm going to start sending you all WhatsApp messages exclusively on ChatGPT and then just see if you notice it's me or not. You probably will, because everything will be spelt right and there'll probably be grammar and shit, you know, but, uh, but, uh, but it's interesting. No, but, but it is really interesting because, yeah, and this is what we were doing when we were doing the strap line. We said, let's all ask the question in a different way and see if the answers come up the same. And of course they don't come up the same. And it's the same as the, it's the, same as the kids. So if you, if you ask, you know, Romeo and Juliet, and I'm not saying I tried it for a long time, but I did obviously try it quite a bit to test the theory. Um, you know, like write this in the voice of a 14 year old, dumb it down, write so many paragraphs, can you change it, can you do this? And it will just literally spin out all these different versions. So you don't actually have to worry about that. You know, can you just go, can you write it in the age of a 14 year old who's not very good at English? <laughs> Guess yeah. what, you get a different version. It's pretty much my um, emails, I'll be honest with you. So, so. Anyway, and then I said, don't look at it and go and do your essay. Um, yeah. for, anybody, you, for anybody who listens to uh, what reads my newsletter every week, pretty much right you know you, you know that's pretty much my reading age but uh. but no but when you look at it yeah but back to the yeah back to the topic on on fintech you i mean it is incredible right, how we're seeing embedded finance coming into all of these apps is that good is it bad i do worry about you know actually the teenagers who are so influenced on everything coming out of tiktok it must be true because it's on tiktok of course it's not a scam um and i do worry about things where we're, we're you know pe making people believe in something like ChatGPT and go, because it's AI and because it's there, and look where it's come from, it must be true too. Yeah. So I think we just, yeah, we are gonna need to have some type of regulation in there at some point. Yeah. Because when it comes into finance, that can make a huge amount of difference. Definitely, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's gonna be an interesting place that we live in where suddenly financial advisors are gonna be put out of business because of ChatGPT. <laughs> like, that's gonna be weird, isn't it? But. But maybe not a bad thing either. But yeah, anyway, we'll discuss that another time. Yeah, um, no, but I think, you know, if, like anything, you know, we've always said this, haven't we? It's about when you get the robots to take over, who's going to tell the robots what to do and who's going to check the data ethics around it? And that's obviously what the concern is. Yeah. You're bad data in, bad data out. And yeah. I think that's the only thing I would Well, tell actually, you, so. today we saw, didn't we, that, um, was it Elon Musk? I mean, Steve Wozniak will sign anything these days, won't he, Jeremy? Like, but Steve Wozniak and, like, a bunch of other people have come out and gone, don't, like... Careful, like, you know, uh, which is interesting given, again, Elon, but, you know. Um, so the idea that essentially we should be much more careful on, you know, exposing these things to the world and being able to ingest all of the data. I mean, it's, it's basically the script for Terminator, isn't it? Let's be honest here. It's like that's happening in that way. But did you, did you see that breaking on LinkedIn earlier? I do, but can I add something else that you just said as well about Terminator? But um, somebody said... We're either going to enter into utopian society like in Star Trek, and that was a long time ago, or we're doomed, right? That's where artificial intelligence plays a, um, a part now. It's, it's hugely exciting, hugely exciting. I'm you're watching everything with artificial intelligence, you know, personally, because it's a personal interest. But I think at the same time, we're going to be like, ooh, is it bots versus, you know, is it humans versus machine and, and who wins? Um, on one hand, it's going to unlock, you know, so much positive change. It's going to be unbelievable. 
On the other hand, it's moving so fast that we have no control. And that's the bit that worries me. And, and back to Charlotte, I think you were talking about it. I think is regulation going to be able to catch up is my, my kind of like concern. Because right now, I think we're far beyond that. A bit like the tweets having the market movers and stuff like that. Elon says something and there we are. You know, markets have moved. So, but artificial intelligence, I think it's a huge pivotal societal change that we're seeing right now with it. Um, but no, I didn't see that. What, um, what do you think, Kate? Fad future? Is this is this where sort of a point of direction? Are we are we all going to be basically editors of like search queries to like do stuff? Or yeah, I mean, I think it's it's definitely the future, right? But it's got to go through a huge amount of scrutiny and change before it is actually properly fit for purpose. Um, I suppose the thing that I found super interesting about this story was just the fact that. Klarna are having to go to ChatGPT, right? Like this is a functionality that's going to exist within the ChatGPT environment. Like it's Klarna plugging into to ChatGPT. And I think that just is testament to the crazy growth that this has had. You know, the phenomenal numbers of people that have been getting onto this platform and trying this out for themselves just shows how exciting it is for people. So um, yeah, I mean, I think obviously Klarna do a huge amount of good things, but I think it's also quite good that maybe they're not completely bossing this conversation and they're having to go to chat GPT rather than getting to, you know, get everything into their environment. It's, um, it's always one of those things that, like, people mess stuff up pretty quickly, right? You know, did you, did you guys see how it was used almost immediately? Did you see the... Did you not see this? Oh, it's hilarious. You guys are going to have to Google this. For everybody who's listening to this, like, look, look, come back on it. But there, there was people basically looking at, well, what would you need to be dressed like if you were the Pope? Did you see it? Oh, I saw that. Yeah, It was amazing. That. The yeah, pictures yeah. were amazing. <laughs> Again, we ruin everything, don't we, really? You know, so, um, but Drippy Pope was being sort of trended on Twitter really, really quickly, which basically saw the Pope being represented in various different looks that was being recommended by the Kleiner engine. One of them which was like, almost like a, like an E17, if I say E17 code, you sort of, you sort of know. I don't, I don't feel like this is gonna travel well for international <laughs> listeners, but you're gonna have to Google this, guys. But, uh, but it, was a, it was an amazing thing. And just, again, you know, proof that people ruin everything. But I mean, I guess bringing it back to, to banking, I mean, when it comes to you know, AI and when it comes to all of the things that we're seeing with machine learning, like, you know, there's a, I mean, I'm getting really serious here suddenly, but there's a place for exploration and understanding and, and actually doing, we had um, Samart Walport on the, the podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually, talking about the need for sandboxes and the need for safe spaces to test these things, but don't let them out in the world. So basically he said it before Elon Musk did, like he was cool. Um, regulators need to get ahead of this stuff, right? I mean, they do, but it's, yeah, the trouble is, by the time you get to, you know, regulatory timings, you know, we look at it, we assess it, we then put it into consultation, then as a review implemented, you're probably on to the next big thing. Yeah. So how are we going to move at the pace of ChatGPT? I'm not quite sure. Maybe the regulators can ask ChatGPT and then they can work it out. Um, but I think that's the concern. Is we, you know, the, and everyone's, you know, so many people talk to me and say, I'm so frustrated at the regulator. They're not doing this. They're not getting it there quick enough. But your know, industry can't even get there quick enough. Um, we're turning to machines. So how are we going to find you know, the intersection, really, between regulators and industry and AI and everything else that's layering on to the point on you know, the impact of Twitter? If you can sit there and have a run on a bank, you know, perhaps as a result of Twitter in a few hours, I'm not quite sure how the regulators are going to be able to sit there and respond to that as yeah. well. So I think that's you. That's the concern that we all have. Is it, what's that going to look like? I mean, you know, I mean, who, you know, did anyone here grow up without Google? I'm really show my age now. Not many. Oh dear, sorry. 
need to work on your, you need to work on your age diversity. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but can you imagine a world, right, where you sit there and go, well, I'm not going to trust Google. Why would I trust Google? They're not going to know the answer. I'm going down to the library and getting an encyclopedia. Right? And trust me, that was what we used to do. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember sending the first email going, God, that's so odd. You know? um, and I learned to type in a manual typewriter, you know, with the one where they had the thing that would zip along at the end of the page, and I can talk to you about carbon copies. Right? So, you know, <laughs> I, feel, I feel like we're getting off topic somehow. What I'm just saying <laughs> is that, you know, if you look at where we've gone to yeah. in that decade, you've gone to where it's we crazy. are now, yep. the acceleration is now out of control, and how are we all going to keep up with that speed? Because we've managed to do it so far. Yep. But I don't know what's going to happen in the next five, ten well, years. Well, people every so often tweet that, you know, the, the period of time between sort of, um, you know, the first flight and going into space was, you know, so tiny, wasn't it? And that, actually, we're sort of in that inflection point, aren't we, where technology actually, the things that we saw on sci-fi when we were growing up is suddenly actually doable, which is kind of bizarre, isn't it? But, I mean, I, I can't help but think, though, like, What's the point in humans at that point? Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, I get, uh, I don't want to get isn't, so dystopian Isn't this meant about... to be like a fun, fun That's show, David? Bit. That's a bit. Oh, sorry. <laughs> this is meant to be a fun show. <laughs> oh no, I'll, I'll come back with the uplifting bit later on. Okay. Don't worry. Sorry. But, but do you know what I mean? It's like actually at the point where basically all the bits that we do get replaced by an algorithm doing it. Then are we just sending each other pictures of the Pope or like what's the? What's the... No, not. Can I? Let me bring it up. <laughs> um, no, you're right though because I think. Also, there was, a, there was a lovely discussion on social media around that Pope picture, actually, it went out of control. It was like, where do you draw the line? Because then becomes ethics and religion and other things that you need to think about. Also, there's another element that we need to start thinking about, which is, David, I'm going to doom and gloom a bit, like what you just said, is around the trust. You know, we, people bank with bigger banks because they trust them, right? That's why we've seen the run to the bank to go to, to bigger institutions. Just like this with Church EBT, you're going to see relationships being tested. So I'm warning you guys here now. Um, say if you see a picture come out on ChatGBT, that's not being watermarked. So I think we need to look at watermarks on pictures and distinguish which is something that's been, you know, it's imagery versus reality. Because otherwise you're going to be like, hey, you know, David was actually somewhere else when he should have been somewhere else. You know, something to think about. So I think there's a huge ethical issue. There's lots of other things to think about. So... Um, I get that a lot, to be fair. So, yeah. <laughs> There's two of you somewhere. Digital twins, it would be good. All I wanted to really to know was where I could get that Pope's coat, because it, um, <laughs> it looked really good. Uh, we had a, a tweet from the audience, so Paul Loberman, uh, what is the over-under on which episode the host of Fintech Insider will be replaced by ChatGPT? You can fuck off, Paul. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> until they can drink and do this at the same... Yeah, okay, fine, yeah. All right. For all of you listening at home, we're just going to take a little bit of a quick break while we top up our drinks, but don't go anywhere. This episode is brought to you by Global Processing Services. At Global Processing Services, the expert partner in issuer processing, they take your security seriously. Their game-changing fraud advantage tool powered by FeatureSpace assesses fraud risks in milliseconds and uses AI and machine learning to constantly adapt to stay ahead of emerging fraud threats. With their array of available fraud solutions at your fingertips, you can feel secure with GPS as your payment processing partner. Find out more at www.globalprocessing.com forward slash fraud management. 
This episode is sponsored by Blinkist. The Blinkist app offers distilled content from over 5,000 non-fiction books and podcasts in an audio-first experience, so you can easily fit them into your day, letting you learn new things all on the go. Discover a friend of the show Dan McCrum's Money Men, his journey to exposing the Wirecard scandal, all within 20 minutes. Sounds pretty good, huh? Well, right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for you, our Fintech Insider listeners. Go to Blinkist.com forward slash fintech to start your seven-day free trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership. And now for a limited time, you can even use Blinkist Connect to share your premium account with a friend or partner and get two premium subscriptions for the price of one. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com forward slash fintech. Welcome back, listeners. We probably want to get back on with the stories then. So the next one that we found was covered in a bunch of places, but we picked it up in ABC News, which is Latitude Financial customers frustrated after millions of personal records stolen in cyber attack. So current and former customers of Latitude Financial rather frustrated at the company's lack of communication of can question their data retention practices. This is after an Australian non-bank lender confirmed millions of its customers' personal records dating back to 2005 had been stolen in a cyber attack earlier on this month. So Latitude Financial discovered on, the, on March 16th that more than 330,000 personal records have been impacted due to a cyber attack. But days later, the company warned that the breach could be even bigger. So in a statement released to the Australian Stock Exchange, Latitude Financial confirmed that 7.9 million Australian and New Zealand driver's licenses, 53,000 passport record numbers, and fewer than 100 monthly financial statements had been stolen in the attack. Wow. I mean, that escalated somewhat, Kate, didn't it? Uh, I mean, this feels like somewhat of a, somewhat of a crisis for this organisation, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's huge. I mean, I think they've had some similar data leaks in Australia. I mean, we've had them in all parts of the world, right? But this is huge. Um, and they're just really fucking up the response, in, in all honesty. Like, you know, you still go on the website. I went on the website just before we came on air, and they've still got the, the banner up on their website saying, we can't help you with anything. You know, go look at our FAQs, ring this number. But, you know, the proactive help is, is still kind of to slow into place. So... Yeah, it's, it's a really stressful time for, for these customers. You know, it's potentially really, really personal information that's being leaked, you know, identification numbers, all sorts of stuff like that. And the fact that it goes back such a long way, I think that's what's really wound people up. And it's a conversation that we're having all around the world, right? How are we handling privacy? How are we working out the best ways to hold and store data? It's not easy, it's hard. Um, but I think, you know, this is what we really need to work out is how long is it appropriate for an organization to hold your data for? I mean, quite a lot of these people didn't even use their products. They were applicants, you know, they weren't actually even engaged with them. So, yeah, it's, it's a really difficult situation. Obviously, I have sympathy for them. Like, they've been a victim of crime. You know, they, they've not necessarily, we don't know for sure yet what's happened or who's to blame. But, yeah, their, their treatment of their customers, I think, still leaves a lot to be, a lot to be desired. Kate, breaking the swearing seal on the panel. Like, clearly in the break, Kate had another glass of wine, and it's feeling a little bit more loose on this at this point, but uh, it's good. I had to have one glass of wine before 
we opened the event just to make sure for you guys that the bar was working, that it was yeah. like, you know, I, I took the hit for you guys. Just doing your duty, testing it out. I feel like I've undermined all of the really smart shit you said, but after you just said fuck, I was just like, Kate said a swear, you know, like, but, <laughs> but, um, but no, it is true. I mean, it's, it's an interesting one, as you say, how far back it goes. And I mean, th surely there's data policies to cover these things and regulation to cover this. Like, is, is it people just circumventing all of these things to make it happen? I mean, I think, that, I mean, I, I've not read all of the detail of Australia's privacy laws, and there was a, a review that kind of came out in sort of February this year. I think the issue is that there is guidance and there's phrasing around, you, know, you have to do what's reasonable, but obviously getting to a very definitive view of that is so difficult when these rules cover such a wide breadth of industries and different customers using different products. So, yeah, it's, it's really hard. I mean, I'd, I'd love to get your perspective, Charlotte, on, on this, like from a, from a kind of regulatory point of view. I feel, I feel like we're coming to you for like, what's the point of the regulator? Like everyone, everything. But, uh, but you know, what is the point in the regulator? No, I'm joking. I mean, I, I agree with you that the thing that is really shocking is the age of the data. Um, and just, you know, why are they still holding that? And you know, do they want to be holding it? Have they had customer permission to hold that? Because this is the trouble. Right? What happens to the data when you go in? How do you get it back again? Is what most people are focusing on at the moment. Um, and how long can you store it? And how long have you had the permission to do that? So for everyone who sits there and says, oh, if only we had something like consumer data right you know, from Australia and the UK, perhaps we should look at that and say, well, actually, is it really working? Um, I think it is, is an issue when you are a listed company as well, because ultimately the exchange will be giving you that guidance saying, don't put anything else out there that effectively is front-running what you're putting out publicly into, you know, into listed uh, company world. Well, and I, I guess back to our point on SVB earlier yeah. on, it's like, you know, try and stay as perfectly still and, you know, hope their vision is based on movement, right? You know, it's a Jurassic Park quote for anybody. No? Nobody? Okay, fine. Um, but, the, you know, the idea that essentially you try and, you know, make it as small a problem as possible, but when you're talking about such a gigantic... They, they must have known at the beginning of it how big this breach was, right? Well, that's it. And, you know, when are we going to get to the point? And, you know, I hate to bring up COVID, but, you know, at least we had the text messages coming through, right? You know, if we managed to do that in COVID, why are we not doing this? You may have been involved in a data breach right, at first, right? We're going to sit there and how do you not... You managed to have got everybody's passport numbers and everyone's driving license numbers. Hopefully they would have, you know, people's mobile phone numbers as well to be able to sit there and send alerts. So I think this comes down to a comms problem. And now, you know, I think everyone sits there, if they know that they've got some information and they may not be able to get any, any more, but at least they know that that's communication there. Saying someone, you know, call up and we'll, we'll try to find, find out what's there isn't going to help. And what I found was amazing was just how many passport numbers are out there and driving license numbers, but how few monthly financial statements are out there. So I'm like, well, hold on, how did you only, only steal, what, 100? but you had millions of uh, driving license numbers. So I think we've got to work out, as I said, how long you retain the data, do you have permission to do that? And I think I presume that's what's gonna come out of this. Um, and, you, and then how do you communicate with your customers when you are being you know, probably given very strict guidelines by the exchange, you probably don't have all the information there. You can't tone it down because you're literally sharing the information live. And what do we do about it? But this is, you know, we know right, these hackers are going to come over and over again, and it's going to become, unfortunately, something that we are going to live with. I see. Um, I, I feel a bit numb to it now, if I'm honest with you. Like, every time I open my MacBook, it tells me some password has been compromised to something I've logged into type thing. So, I mean, Sai, is this sort of a kind of a, as we canter towards, I mean, we're talking about 
AI taking over the world earlier on. Maybe my, I was gonna you know, do, I was my Google Mail password isn't going to be the most <laughs> critical bit of information type thing. But is it, is it sort of inevitable that these things are going to happen more and more as we become you know, more and more reliant on a digital world? I think so. I think if you look now, even our attention span as humans is starting to kind of get shorter and shorter and shorter. And I think how many times have you guys clicked and just gone, yeah, agree, 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 or something? Unless you're really good and you actually, you know, every time you click, you go, what am I clicking? How much of my data am I giving? Am I allowing all? Am I rejecting? You know, these kind of, those buttons are going to become highly, highly important. And I think right now there's been no real education around how to, to press those buttons. And then back to what you're saying, Charlotte, I think around the regulator stuff, I think there's, they're trying to move as fast as they can, but actually how fast can you use, you know, the stuff that we have in the systems and these kind of timelines are so legacy that they're no longer valid in this new world. Like I said, the societal shift that we're going through is exactly this. Um, I am worried, though, about this kind of stuff. I think we definitely need to start looking at, um, I think we need to educate people along the way just while we catch up, um, you know, as regulators, businesses, and everybody else is kind of doing their best. I think at the same time, it's everybody else's job to kind of make sure that you're very, very careful about, you know, the new tools that you're using and how you're using them. And I'm not going to lie, it's highly exciting. I mean, I, I saw what ChatGBT stuff around, you know, planning your holiday for you. I was like, hey, yes, I want to do that because that's one of the things I don't like doing. Somebody might be getting married and be like, hey, you know, organize my wedding for me. There's no longer a wedding planner to be used. Um, so, no, uh, the other thing to add on to that is probably communication is going to be key. I mean, I'm cringing when you were talking about the communication being so poor. I think the communication element is going to have to be dialed up, and that's where humans will play a huge part. And I think, oh, my God, I'm talking about us like we're actually in this other world. But um, we do need to dial up our communication skills. We're going to need them more and more. And that's where we'll probably be able to kind of help these kind of things. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? There, there was some statistics that came on this one. So apparently, uh, according to Verizon, 71% of breaches are financially motivated. So people looking to exploit something, which I was actually quite surprised at how low that number was. But, but I mean, Australian data leaks. I mean, we've talked about this. I think um, Sarah Kachansky's here somewhere. I saw you at the bar earlier on. It wasn't long ago I was chatting with Sarah on a podcast where literally somebody's servers were just left on the back of a truck in Australia and data a breach was happened. So like, it's quite sophisticated and then really unsophisticated data breaches that kind of happen in that way. But I mean, how damaging is this for an organization, Kate? Is this a kind of a, you know, end of life kind of thing for these organizations? Or, or do you think people can really sort of come back from such a, a significant data breach? I think it's very, it depends on how you handle the situation, right? And I think that's part of what is so concerning about, about this with Latitude is it's created so much anger amongst these customers that have been impacted that I think you know, if they'd had a better way of resolving this, if they had communicated better, then potentially people would have been, would be more understanding. Whereas I think there is a lot of anger and once you've broken that trust, it's very hard to, hard to get back. Um, I mean, I guess from a financial perspective, it's not going to be cheap for them either. So I think, you know, Optus, in a you know, telecoms company in Australia, had a breach in September. I think it's going to cost them at least 140 million 
Australian dollars to kind of fix that in terms of you have to replace all the identity documents your customers have to have to change. You have to give them complimentary subscriptions to credit files um, and you have to kind of go through all the investigative processes as well. So there's the reputational damage, but then there's also, you know, a big financial cost as well, both that you have to pay directly and what you'll lose through the customers that just don't come to you because they don't trust you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be an interesting one, definitely one that we'll kind of watch and, you know, see whether they can build back that reputation. There was a, a tweet actually from the audience, this is uh, Leonard Berger, from uh, Believe the EU is holding many roundtables this week with deep tech and data startups, uh, including the likes of Tech EU, to act much more swiftly on the regulatory front when it comes to data breaches. So, super interesting. We'll keep watching this space and see what kind of comes out. Um, all right, guys, it is time to close out this week's show, unfortunately. I know, I mean, everybody in the room is just going to go and have a laugh, but uh, for everybody listening to this, I'm sure you, uh, you're wanting more. But um, this is where, I'll be honest with you, usually I have like a lighthearted story, something random, who's getting sued celebrity endorsement-wise, or a dog using contactless cards or something. You, got, you guys have heard the show, right? But, but this week, our panel are no longer just financial services experts. They're now game show contestants. Did you guys know about this bit? Like, um, I apologize if you didn't, but um, you're here now, so you look like really bad sports. Anyway, so each of our panel is going to be asked a question with a numerical answer. Then our live audience is going to shout out whether they think the actual answer is higher or lower than the panel's actual best guess. So be sure to play along when you're listening to this at home if you want to, right? So let's play FinTech High or Lower. <laughs> Not gonna lie, I've always wanted a jingle. That was great. Can I do that? No, no, it's fine. If I could just get something on my phone that if any time I say that in a meeting it does that, that would be really awesome. Looking at you. Um, anyway, right, let's get started with you, Kate. Your question is, according to research from data analytics, from data genetics, what is the best and safest PIN number? This is where I have to not say my own PIN number. <laughs> Which... It's really tempting, isn't it? It's really tempting. I'm just trying to think, like, what's the most boring number? And I thought I'm going to offend somebody because it'll be someone's, like, lucky number. But I think six is quite boring. So I'm going to go, like, six, four, seven, three. <laughs> so is, is, that, is that anybody's pin number? Are we, like, I feel like we're... Are we getting close with anybody's <laughs> pin number again? You're just putting your hand up for anything at this point, aren't you? But, uh, all right, what, audience, what do you think? Uh, so we've... What, what was the Kate, number, Kate? <laughs> I think I've forgotten. Six four, six four seven three. Six four seven three. Uh, what? Higher. Higher. Higher or lower? Okay. All right. Let's spin the card and find out. The answer is eight zero six eight. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, I mean, yeah, exactly. Not anymore. Like you guys, if you're if you're going to use that one, I'd suggest maybe not doing it in the next six months or so, essentially. So. But, I mean, I, I would have thought, like, a lot of people just use their, their birth year. You know what I mean? Like, so 80s kids in that sense. That, that's not don't, what I don't, do. Don't, 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 don't do that. Just wondering where my wallet is at that point. Anyway, right, Charlotte, you're up next. Uh, your question is, so according to finder.com, 
Uh, how many people in the UK own an NFT? So, what do you reckon, Charlotte? It's a lot of kids. I'm going to go round number a million. A million? All right, okay, okay, okay. All right, audience, uh, what do you reckon? Higher or lower than a million people own an NFT? I mean... Wow, okay, all right, so uh, let's... Let's reveal the card. Is it lower or higher? Oh! I mean, that was that was that was very close. So the answer is eight hundred uh, no eight hundred nineteen thousand four hundred. That is that's pretty good going, Charlotte. Well done. I'm, I'm proud of that. Rounding, rounding up. Okay, so Sai, you're up. Your question is: According to research by Ascent. What percentage of American customers use buy now, pay later services once a month or more? What do you reckon? They do love a bit of consumerism, don't they? Yeah. Oh, 48%? How many? 48%. 48%. I, I got you to repeat it because I didn't hear it, not because I was like, oh my God, like uh, 48%. All right, uh, audience, what do you reckon? Higher or lower? <laughs> Lower, um, consensus was lower. Let's reveal the card. What do you reckon? Lower than 48%? So, so close. So the actual answer was 38% of Americans use buy now, pay, to, pay later services more than once a month. All right. Uh, it was kind of a mixed bag, that. I reckon the audience won some, we won some. Well, you guys won some. What do you reckon? Yeah? All right, Charlotte. Charlotte won. Well done. All right. <laughs> All right, with that, I reckon that the winner, let's go with you guys, the audience won, so well done. Thank you very much for playing FinTech Higher or Lower. I'm getting all Brucey again. International listeners are going to know no idea what that is, but I, I, I did. They did do well. Anyway. And sadly, that wraps up this week's episode of FinTech Insider News. Thank you so much to our guests for listening as a massive round of applause for the panelists, please. <laughs> and where can people learn a little bit more about what you're up to, Charlotte? So, uh, website, www.cfit.org.uk. Um, I'm at C Crosswell on Twitter and at cfit underscore UK on Twitter for the company. I, f I feel like you're, you're going to get flooded with people with really good ideas. Like, so. I, I, we need ideas. We yeah. need ideas. And we it's need good. solutions even more, though. There you go. Sai, where can people learn a little bit more? LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn. That's it. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Kate? Uh, well, if you're here, I'll be at the bar testing it consistently. Uh, but yeah, if you're not here on, on LinkedIn or Twitter at k8moody. Very good. As for me, predominantly lurking on LinkedIn or probably lurking at the bar as well. Thank you so much for listening and thanks to our audience here in London. Give yourself a round of applause. So everybody who is here, go grab yourself a drink, have a chat, have some fun, grab some hot sauce, that's weird. Uh, enter the competition to win a annual subscription to our Pulse platform. Scan the QR code, have a fun, and thank you also to GPS and Kin Group for being fantastic sponsors. If you want to join the conversation, it's podcast at 11fs.com. Thank you very much. Goodbye.